Well, if you keep your Bibles uh, opened up to James 2, we continue our study in the book of James. And we've got problems this morning, serious problems. Look at James 2.24. It's, uh, James 2.24 says, you see that a person is justified by works and not by faith alone. What? Turn to Romans 3.28. So look at what Paul says. Romans 3.28 says, uh, I'm sorry, two, golly wally, 3.28. For we hold that one is justified by faith apart from works of the law. Let's bow for the benediction. <laughs> it seems, or it certainly appears on the face of it, that we've got a serious contradiction here between Paul and James. And of course, if you read any commentary on James 2, 14 to 26, you will find lots of ink spilled trying to harmonize what James is saying and harmonize what Paul is saying. And in my opinion, my humble opinion, that's not exactly what we need to do. Yes, we need to talk about that, but what we really need to do is to make sure we look at James 2, 14 to 26 and harmonize it with the rest of what James says in his book first. Now, here's the deal this morning. I have a slightly different take on James 2 than you'll probably read in your commentaries, and I don't like any of them. No sermon that I've heard on James 2 have I ever liked. I may not like this one, I don't know, I'll look at it this afternoon. You may not like my presentation of James 2, and then we'll be even. <laughs> I don't like any of the presentations, you don't like mine, that's fine. I think before we get into the text, we need to make sure that we understand how James 2, 14 to 26, fits into James's argument, not how it relates to Paul's, at least initially here. So let me give you a few things to help us think through this text. The first contextual fact you need to grapple, we all need to grapple with, is that over and over and over again, James refers to his readers as my brothers. My brothers, my brothers. In fact, in the text itself that we're looking at, what good is it, my brothers? He will call them my brothers or beloved brothers at least 12 times and, and directly. And other times he sort of refers to them as brothers. You know, you, know, you know, if anyone among you does this or that. So he's assuming, I think, I think it's fair to say based on the textual evidence that James is speaking to who he believes are brothers and sisters in Christ. That will be very important as, you look at the, as we look at this text. Secondly, we need to understand the, the, the focus of the whole book, which we've looked at a couple weeks ago in the prologue of the book. James is writing to believers. He says, my brothers, over and over again. But believers who are under trial. They are under massive difficulty. 
And James is concerned that in the midst of their trials, their temptation to sin, which he mentions in James, you know, 1, 14, 15, 16, he's concerned that, that they will be tempted in, a, in an exacerbated way to sin, and sin is always destructive. And so James is deeply concerned that these believers, under pressure, will succumb to sin, will, will not fully obey God under pressure. And that will be a disastrous consequence for their faith. Then you also need to keep in mind the flow of the argument of the book. James 1, 19 and 20 says, Know this, my beloved brothers. Let every person be quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger. Sort of an outline of the book. What James is concerned about is that believers who are under pressure, temptation is now exacerbated because of those trials, And he's saying in three main points, if you're going to withstand trials, you need to be people who are quick hearers, slow speakers, and slow to anger. And the first point, quick to hear, is is now in the section we're in now. And quick to hear, according to James, James says, quick to hear means you don't just know about God, you do the word of God. Be hearers of the word and not, be doers of the word and not hearers only. So we're in a context where James is describing that if you are going to be a Christian who follows Christ under pressure, being able to resist the death-dealing consequences of sin in your life under pressure, you have to be a person who is growing in obedience to Christ. You have to have a faith that expresses itself in obedience. Otherwise, you're in deep trouble. One last thing. In some sense, I think we need to look at our salvation as a whole, but typically theologians divide it up. So they talk about justification. How does a sinful person get right with God? And Paul is very clear in the verse. You get right with God by believing and trusting in Christ alone, quite apart from your works. That's the way the penalty of sin is removed from you, and Jesus takes it, and you now enter into the family of God. Justification. Glorification is speaking of the future. That when, if you have been declared to be as righteous as Jesus Christ because you have had faith alone in Christ alone, one day, either you die or when Jesus returns, you will live forever in this new world, free from the very presence of sin. But today, what we have to, to deal with, for those of us who truly know Christ as our Savior, we have to deal with the part of salvation that's most pressing on us is our sanctification. How do we become increasingly free from the power of sin? How can we, now that we, we, we've, we're, we're through with the penalty of sin, but how do we live out of our new identity in the gospel and be increasingly free from the power of sin in our lives today? That's called sanctification. Now, my sense of the text is that when certainly, I think most everyone would agree, the verse that seems to contradict James in Romans 3 is talking about justification. James, on the other hand, is far more interested in the sanctification of these believers. That's what he's concerned with. 
In fact, in the book of James, you will find very few verses that really speak to justification. James 1.18 is one of the only ones I have found where it says, of his own will, he brought us forth by the word of truth, that we should be a kind of first fruits of his creatures. There's a few verses in James that talk about the second coming, our glorification. Be patient, therefore, brothers, until the coming of the Lord. But most of the book is written to believers now to help us withstand t- trials and the temptations that come with trials in this present world. He is deeply concerned with us being people who have a genuine faith but are living out of that faith in obedience in growing comprehensive and consistency. I, I was hoping that would be the, the end of our time and we could just... And now I've got to actually explain the verses. Oh, okay. So now what I want to do is I want to walk us through the text. Try to help us understand what it's driving at. And then I want to make three applications to three different kinds of people that may be here this morning or online this morning. So the first is this. In verses 2, 14 to 17, what James is driving at, he's saying this to believers, if you want to stand up under trials with exacerbated temptation to sin, you must live out your faith in obedience. Notice what he says in verse uh, verse 14, what good is it, my brothers, if someone says he has faith but does not have works, Can can that faith save him? In other words, what James is concerned about, you may believe in God, you may believe the gospel, but your life, you're not living out your faith in obedience. Your works or your obedience is lacking. Uh, You don't have it. You you believe and, and say you believe all the right things, but you're not acting on that faith. That's not a situation that leads to dealing with the death dealing consequences of sin. You cannot be sanctified unless you allow your faith and the Spirit of God to take your faith and it begins to express itself in growing obedience to Christ. Under pressure, your faith will wilt and your faith will fail. And that's what James is saying. He even gives a physical illustration. He'll do this twice in this section. He says, if a brother or sister is poorly clothed and lacking in daily food, and one of you says to them, go in peace, be warmed and filled... Without giving them the things needed for the body, what good is that? Somebody comes to your house. Maybe it's later this, you know, this, this coming winter. It's 20 degrees outside. They don't, it's someone from Stonehill, right? You greeted them in the service the week before. They don't have enough clothes. They don't have any food. It's 20 degrees outside. If all you give that person is faith, go in peace. Be warmed and fed. That's a statement of faith. Go in peace. Be warmed and fed. All things work together for good to those who love him. And you don't do anything to alleviate their hunger or provide shelter or provide clothing. Will that save the person from the death-dealing consequences of the weather? Absolutely not. And in the same way, even as believers who, who believe in Jesus Christ, when our disobedience begins to grow, when our obedience begins to cut corners in obedience, we find ourselves in a spiritually perilous place where the temptations to sin under pressure can easily overwhelm us. If we want to stand up under trials, believers, 
and the exacerbated temptations to sin, we must live out our faith in growing, deepening, more consistent obedience. Anything short of that will put us in a very, very dangerous place. Sort of illustrate this a little bit more. Uh, you can come to Stonehill Church, you, and you, you all sang some songs. You sang When I Surveyed the Wondrous Cross. Did, did quite well. Some of you are not on pitch, but that's okay. You can sing all the right songs. You can sing How Great Is Our God. You can sing, you know, Amazing Grace, How Sweet the Sound. You can, you can pray. You can participate in, 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 in worship. But if you walk out of this building... And James talks about this over and over again. And you are struggling to obey. You're never going to be able to really grow deeply in your sanctification. We sang an old hymn. I don't want to sing it to you. But it said, trust and obey. For there's no other way to be happy in Jesus but to trust and obey. You've got to believe, of course. You've got to believe in Christ alone to be justified. But sanctification requires allowing the Spirit of God to take your faith and begin to express it in obedience in a powerful way. And how many of us, just looking at the book of James, we have big problems with this. How many of you can sing, When peace like a river attendeth my way in church? We're not singing it today, but you sing it. It is well with my soul. You walk out in the parking lot, you get a phone call. Now you have a big trial, and what do you do? Do you rejoice in your trial? No, you don't. You blame God, you blame others, you panic, you freak out. And what happens? All of the perseverance and endurance that God wants to do for you in the midst of the trial are forfeited because you refuse to obey God's word. You're not, your, your obedience is, is lacking, how many of you in the midst of a trial, we all tend to take our lives and we make it, we narrow our lives so it's, the only thing we can think about in the midst of our trials is ourselves. You ever do that? Where you give self-absorbed. What does James say? True religion is this, to visit orphans and widows in their affliction. And yet, when we're under trial and we're tempted, we begin to narrow our focus. It all becomes about us. We fail to obey the commands of Scripture, and our faith is even more weakened. James talks about true religions, orphans and widows and affliction to keep oneself unstained from the world. How many of us, under pressure, instead of turning to God in faith, and for turning to God in obedience, we turn to everything else but God to deal with our trial? And what do we do? Chocolate, food, television, let's just anesthetize our lives, some form of impurity to take the pain away for a few moments, alcohol. When we stop obeying, when we struggle with obedience, we are in a dangerous position, and that's what James is concerned about. Yeah, we'll get there in a couple weeks. I mean, what is the other thing that you do in the, when you're under pressure? You can't control your tongue as well, do you? You say crazy things. I'd love to interview your families and just see what's the craziest thing this person has said. Wouldn't that be fun? No, it would be terrible. Or we get angry, James 4. 
James is trying to say, what good is it, brothers? You will never be able to stand up under trial unless your faith and your obedience are working together, unless your obedience is coming out of your faith in a powerful way, you will not be able to withstand the trials and the temptation to sin that are there. It's the first thing I want you to see. There's a second thing. I want you to look at the last verse. I think it's nice to look at the bookends of this text. The the second thing I think it's really important to see is that obedience strengthens our faith, and conversely, our disobedience weakens our faith. Look at verse 26. He says, For as the body apart from the spirit is dead, so also faith apart from works is dead. James is using a physical illustration to illustrate a spiritual reality. Now, he's writing to Jewish believers who are far more acquainted with the Old Testament than we are to our shame. They probably would have thought a body without a spirit, where do you see that in Scripture? Well, that's Genesis 2. Adam is there, you know, made out of the dust of the ground. But what does God have to do? He has to breathe in the spirit so that the body and the spirit now become unified and now there's life. It's interesting that, 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 that if you look at the illustration, as is, uh, the, the, the body is, is, is sort of uh, refers to faith, in other words, the analogy, faith, body, spirit is, it would be you know, analogous to a works or obedience. Now, certainly at the very least, what St. James is saying, if you don't have faith and obedience working together, if those things aren't evident and are happening in your life, you will never withstand it, trials. That's at the very least it's saying that, but it might be even saying more because who, what animated the body? Did the body animate the spirit or the spirit animate the body? It was the spirit that animated the body. And in the same way, it is our obedience that animates our faith. What James is saying is fairly profound that, that uh, typically we think of this. If I've got real faith and, and I'm growing in my faith, this is how Paul presents it in most of his letters. Again, see, you can't help but comparing Paul and James. But in Paul seems, seems to say, if you believe more of the gospel, which is usually the first half of his epistle, here's what God has done for you, all the things that the gospel has accomplished. In believing this, this will push you into obeying and motivate you and direct you to obey consistent with who you already are in the gospel. James says the opposite works as well. That sometimes just your obedience will strengthen your faith. Just obeying a little bit of scripture will help you and, 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 and enliven and, 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 and deepen your faith. And conversely, when we disobey, it weakens our faith. I remember very vividly, uh, I was taking a counseling observation class. I'm going to change some of the details uh, about that, but we watched a couple. I guess they got a break on the counseling fee. They videotaped it, and I saw 12 sessions of this couple being counseled by a counselor. And after the first two sessions, it was clear this couple had major problems. There was a financial problem. The husband was out of work. There were some impurity issues with the husband, financial. They couldn't agree on how to parent their young adult daughter. There was chaos. And I had a list of things writing in my little notes each time I saw another session. Well, we got to get this guy to a crown financial course, and then we got to get him into a support group for impurity, and then we got to give him some parenting lessons. I I had a list of things they should do that no human being could ever do. Meanwhile, the counselor, week after week, kept trying to get the couple to do one thing. 
I wrote down at one point, I think this counselor is insane. One thing. All he was trying to get them to do was to, 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 to every night after work, is for the husband and wife to take an hour and a half and simply be together and share their lives together and pray together. That was it. I said, this is insane. One time I wrote, what about the financial problem, counselor? What about the purity issue? Why aren't you dealing with all the other issues? But guess what happened? Over the course of 12 sessions, when they first came in in the first session, they barely sat on the couch together. They were, they were at two ends of the couch. They wouldn't even look at each other. And over time, as they obeyed basically one thing, spend an hour and a half where you openly share and disclose how you're feeling and then pray together. Over the weeks, there was no Crown Financial class. There was no purity program necessarily. There was no parenting lessons on how to parent young adult children. Uh, they started to sit closer and closer. In the last session, they came in holding hands. Now, I think that James is providing profound insight here. That when we restart obedience, if we've gotten off track, that by itself has a massive capacity to strengthen your faith. And by the same token, any disobedience of any kind weakens your faith. You need to hear that. We, I need to hear that. Because I think it's easy for us at Stonehill because we come out of a Reformation context. We are willing to die for the truth that salvation is by grace alone in faith alone. We're so worried that works will be any part of it. We want to emphasize faith alone and Christ alone. That's correct. But we forget that in terms of our overall salvation, our obedience is a massive part of that. Jesus didn't just save you from the penalty of sin so you can live any way you want and then you're in heaven. Well, great. He saved you from the penalty of sin and made you a new person precisely so that you would do good works, not to earn salvation, but to live out your new identity in Christ. And I think if we're honest with ourselves, we take too casual a view of our sin. We don't see the dangers. And we're maybe a little bit too quick. Again, I, I, we need to do this. But we're a little bit too quick to say, there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. I'm okay. James is calling his readers to take their sin very seriously. It's the second thing. So the third thing I want you to see, and that goes back to verse 24, that arresting verse that you see, saw earlier. It says, you see that a person is justified by works and not by faith alone. It's interesting that very few commentators talk about the word you see. I think that's kind of critical to the whole argument here. He mentions it again earlier, which we'll get to in a minute. He says, you see that a person is justified by works and not by faith alone. What James is saying here is, the evidence of your faith is your obedience. And again, it says, you see that a person is justified. In other words, I can't see your faith. I, you can tell me you trusted Jesus Christ. I can't see your heart. God will. I can't see that, but I can see what you do. 
And when I see you living consistently with God's word, it's an evidence, it's a demonstration of your faith in action. So the reality is what James is trying to say here, I think, is that our obedience shows our faith in actions to the watching world. That's why it's so critical for us to double down on obedience. I mean, the number one, in my experience, and I talk to a fair number of unbelievers, the number one argument that most people make to me about why they don't want anything to do with Christianity is why the hypocrisy of the church. They said over and over again to me. Yeah, I'd, I'd think about being a Christian, but I had a Christian boss. I think I was, he, was, he was a lunatic. Oh, yeah, I, was, my brother became a Christian. That guy was so judgmental and so pharisaical. I, I forget that. I mean, you know, that, that. But James is saying is the evidence, the, the demonstration of your faith can only be seen in your obedience. And what does Jesus say? By this, all men will know you are my disciples. What? By the love we have for one another. You can stand up all the day long and say, I'm a Christian, I believe in Jesus. But if your life doesn't show it, there's no evidence that your faith is real. Now, of course, this doesn't mean that James is saying you have to be perfect at all times. He's not saying that. We don't believe in sinless perfectionism. In fact, even when you blow it in front of your neighbors, friends, classmates, coworkers, if you demonstrate some repentance and some confession to them of the mistake that you made, that often is an evidence of your faith, even though you failed. James himself will say later in James 4, be wretched and mourn and weep. Let your laughter be turned to mourning, your joy to gloom. One of the evidences that of your faith is when you do disobey God, you have a healthy understanding of the fear of the Lord. You have a healthy grieving over your sin and you deal with it in a decisive way. I had a, a, a real desire to share the gospel with all of these uh, parents of, 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 of all of, all of the, the kids that played soccer with my, my, my sons. And so I really, w I prayed about it a lot. I tried to share the gospel. And I, I was really trying to, you know, put in a word for Jesus. And one soccer game was a championship of a tournament. The referee blew the whistle. So play should have been dead. But then allowed the play to continue, and the other team scored in the final minute, and they, he allowed the goal. My son's team's lost, and I lost it. I was not a good example of bridling your tongue. I didn't curse the referee out, but I said a number of things to him. And I said a number of other things to him when he told me, I know I blew the whistle, but your goalie... Is deaf. He was deaf. Your goalie's deaf, so it didn't matter that I blew the whistle, and so the goal should stand. And I went crazy because I'm committed to justice. I said a number of things. I then told the parents around me it's a conviction of sin, and partly the conviction given to me by God through my wife. <laughs> who told me, he looked at me and said, that wasn't good. And I went to the, all of those referees and apologized for my verbal abuse that I'd heaped out on them, calling them incompetent, etc. And after that, 
I thought, wow, I really blew my testimony. You see that a person is justified by works and not by faith alone. Well, yeah, it's bad. I had three guys that I've been sharing the gospel with came up to me after this and said, wow, maybe you're the real deal. A pastor who admits they're wrong. Hmm. I want to hear more about what you believe about the Bible and Jesus. Our obedience shows our faith to a watching world. Lastly, I want us to take a quick look at Abraham, Abraham and Rahab. Two great examples of what James has been driving at. There's an objector in verses 18 and 19. Debelia says this is the most difficult two verses to translate, to understand in the New Testament. So I would encourage you to study it on your own this afternoon. I have a view on it, but I, we don't have time. Sorry. I'm not dodging it. A little bit, but I'm, I'm really not dodging it. James responds to this objector, certainly in verse 20. Do you want to be shown, you foolish person, that faith apart from works is useless? Was not Abraham our justified by works when he offered up his son Isaac on the altar? You see that faith was active along with his works and faith was completed by his works. Notice again what James says. When Abraham believed, he believed, but when he obeyed God under pressure, when he took his son Isaac, the promised son, and was willing to, to, to sacrifice him, and then he was stopped by that, and then God provided a ram for him. Since Abraham was willing to, to in a, a trial that none of you will ever face, okay? I don't think anybody's going to tell you to sacrifice your child. Some of you, when your kids are teenagers, you will think twice about that if God did that, maybe. But don't do that. Send them to college. Abraham demonstrated his faith by his incredible obedience under pressure. And notice what James says. Faith was active along with his works, and faith was completed by his works. There's a sense in which you cannot divorce faith from your obedience for the Christian, particularly in sanctification. It does not work that way. Your faith evidences, your, your works evidence your faith. Your, your faith must work together with your works. Your obedience must work with your faith. And it says, you see that his faith you see that faith was active along with his works. And then notice what James says in verse 23. And the scripture was fulfilled that says Abraham believed God and it was counted to his righteousness. There, James is very clear. The way Abraham got into the family of God, he was declared righteous when he believed God plus nothing. Then he says, but he was also called the friend of God. Why was he called the friend of God? Because under pressure, he demonstrated his faith through his incredible obedience. And of course, it's interesting that James is going to say later in the book, uh, he, he's going to say, uh, he's going to say some very strong words. He says, you adulterous people, he says in James 4. Do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? Therefore, whoever wishes to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. When we, as believers in Jesus Christ, fail to obey, we cut corners in obedience, 
We don't guard our tongue. We, 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 we have anger all over the place. We, we cut corners on obedience. We don't rejoice in our trials. When we do those kinds of things, and we cozy up to the world rather than God's word, we functionally become an enemy of God. It's strong words, but we need to hear that. We know that because of justification, we're not actually his enemies, but functionally in terms of our sanctification, when we stop obeying, we make ourselves an enemy of God functionally. And Abraham was called a friend of God because his faith was demonstrated by his obedience. And then lastly, Rahab. This is an amazing passage with Rahab. In the same way was not also Rahab the prostitute justified by works. Justified by works. In other words, we see that Rahab had faith because her faith was evidenced by obedience. Rahab the prostitute received the messengers and sent that matter another way. We don't understand Rahab. Rahab was a prostitute living in Jericho. She does not have a Torah that she's reading out of. I guarantee you. She's in a, an idolatrous place of all kinds of immorality, and she's part of it. She hears a couple of rumors, okay, that God of Israel has delivered them supernaturally, and she puts her faith alone in, in God alone, and she's now a, a believer. But then what does she do? When the people of God come in, and the spies come in, she hides them. She takes enormous risk, far more risk than you probably will ever have in your walk with Christ. Takes enormous risk to hide them and to, 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 to not allow them to be seen. And what happens to her? Her life is spared from the death-dealing consequences of God's wrath on that godless city. So let me draw us to a close, and I want to talk to three different groups of people, just briefly. My fear, this keeps me up at night, whether you're online or in here. One of my fears is, is even though we preach the gospel, and Pastor Matt preached the gospel, and all the pastors at Stonehill have preached the gospel, my fear that there could be someone in this room who has not really heard the gospel. You have not really understood that you cannot get right with God by your good works. I don't want you to read the book of James and say, well, hey, I visit widows and orphans. Oh, I, you know, I don't, I don't say crazy things too much. My anger is usually under control. I'm, I'm not a bad, I'm a pretty good person. Maybe you are a good person, but you will never be good enough to get to God because God is holy and righteous, and you're not. And if you are depending on your good works to get you in, it will never work. Because the only way to get right with God is to trust Jesus Christ alone for your salvation. Faith alone in Christ alone. That's how you are declared righteous before God. So maybe today is the day that you decide to put your faith and confidence in Christ alone. There's another group of people that are here, and you're a believer this morning. You're here. And you've put your faith and confidence in Christ alone. But the reality is, there are areas of your life where you are not fully obeying God. Go back to last week's sermon. You're showing partiality all over the place. You're not rejoicing in your trials. You're not, you're not serving other people 
well in, in the midst of your trial. You, you, you've got places in your life that you know are not conformed to God's word. James will say, you've got to get that resolved by the power of the Holy Spirit right now. Because every day you stand in disobedience, you weaken your faith, you will not be able to stand up under the trials. Please don't hide behind good Reformation theology inappropriately and say, hey, there's no condemnation for those in Christ Jesus. My sins are all taken care of. And then decide you can be somewhat casual with your sin. That is not why God saved you to begin with. He didn't save you so that you could live any way you want. He saved you so that you would be more like Jesus Christ. In a very real sense, God accepts you when you trust Christ alone. But as Paul Tripp says, he has an agenda. He accepts you completely in Jesus, but his agenda is to make you more like Jesus Christ. Lastly, one other group. I think James is pretty clear here that since your obedience evidences your faith, now I think James is, believes that he's writing to believers. There's another person, maybe online, maybe here, and, and, and you, you keep me up late at night. You may have prayed a prayer to receive Christ you know, a number of years ago. You may have think that you have trusted Jesus Christ, but the reality is your obedience, or maybe I should say your disobedience is so vast so great, you have very little interest in following God. You have very little interest in getting to his word. You have very little interest in, in being, being in community with other believers. And I think James would say that, that true faith expresses itself in obedience. That's the whole design of our salvation. If you are sort of, sort of apathetic about almost everything in the Christian life, it does, I think, an application of this verse calls into question whether or not you actually trusted Christ to begin with. And certainly, if we can't see any evidence as we look at your life, that is concerning. And if that's where you are, are today, I would encourage you to come talk to me or one of the other pastors. We'd like to walk with you and strengthen you, encourage you, maybe preach the gospel to you again, make sure you understood it and help you on in your life. So I want you to take a moment, please bow your heads. If you're here this morning and you're trusting in your own goodness to get to God, I encourage you to I encourage you to put your faith and confidence in Christ alone. And if you've got questions, please come to see one of us. If you're a believer, and again, I think this is what James is, is, is pushing for, teaching. If you're here and you've got major points of disobedience, can you spend some time, confess that to God, ask God to help you get back to being a friend of God through obedience by the power of the Holy Spirit. Lastly, if you've, you have no interest, no evidence of faith whatsoever, I would encourage you to come talk to one of the elders or come talk to one of the pastors. I'd like to walk with you through that question. So let's take a minute and spend time with God.